Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, recording today here in Amiskwachewaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territories on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is an unironic friend of the show, Jeremy Appel. Jeremy is a freelance writer and journalist. He is the owner and operator of the Orchard Substack, and he's also the man single-handedly responsible for the Alberta NDP's loss in the election that just happened. Uh, Jeremy, how are you feeling after ensuring another four years of UCP hegemony in Alberta? Uh, great. I, you know, I got some rubles in the mail today um, from my boss, uh, Vlad. And, you know, I, 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 it, it, it's too bad that um, it wasn't a, a greater uh, victory for the party that I clearly wanted to win, the UCP. You know, it was a bit tight. Uh, we lost some seats in Calgary. But, um, yeah, you know, I did the job and I got paid. So nothing so, to complain about. So we're, I mean, we're joking here, but... Um yeah, can you imagine like former we we uh we, we we hate the uh the UCP. We're very sad that they lost. At least I'm very sad that they lost. Uh I'm very sad that the NDP lost and the UCP won. I think 4 years of Daniel Smith is going to Well, be I'm really sad bad. the UCP won. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And and like uh, but you and I have not been making any friends with uh you know the higher-ups in the Alberta NDP firmament, the elite if you will, uh since the election result. And um, you know, I think you and I have come at this in different ways. You were very openly critical of the Alberta NDP's campaign and their approach off the hop. You wrote a piece in The Breach that we'll link to in the show notes that kind of laid out your criticism of the Alberta NDP's kind of timid timid and moderate approach to trying to defeat Daniel Smith. What's the, like, Cole's notes of, of that piece, if you can try and just summarize it for us real fast? Uh, well, I would say the Coles notes is that the NDP were trying to win over uh, conservatives in the suburbs of Edmonton and Calgary. And as a result, the policies they were offering were um, very cautious, only like marginally distinct from the UCPs. Although, you know, I, I think they did offer clearly a less bad alternative. And... Um, that they, I mean, the, the, it was sort of an example of the Overton wind. I didn't say this explicitly in the piece, but it was, I think this campaign was a clear example of the Overton window shifting rightwards, whereby the NDP did all these things when they were in power, and some of them were quite good. I mean, again, they reduced child poverty by half. You didn't hear a peep about that on the campaign for some bizarre, I, I guess the conservatives in Calgary like child poverty, which you know may very well be true. <laughs> they don't want to hear about it, Jeremy. <laughs> they uh, but, don't want to be reminded that good things can't the, happen. The UCP rolls it back and then some, right? I mean, look at corporate taxes. They were 10% when the NDP came to power. They were 12% when they got out of power. Kenny rolled them back to 8%, and the NDP said, okay, well, we'll increase them to 11%. We're still going to have lower corporate taxes than Doug Ford's Ontario and Scott Moe's Saskatchewan, so don't you worry. And, um, you know, now um, the UCP is in power for another four years. is going to do some real damage, and then the NDP... Uh, depending on what lessons they uh, learn from this defeat, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get to that shortly, are going to offer, uh, you know, even even less of yeah. uh, what they did when they were in power uh, 2015 to 2019. So you, 
you were very upfront about your criticism. I gotta, I gotta admit, I, I mostly held my tongue. I, I mean, I'm super burned out, and I have my output has kind of definitely decreased over the past couple of months. Um, but, and one of those things, perhaps contributing to that, was the, the kind of campaign that the NDP run. But I wasn't going to expend my psychic energy to just like slag these people in the with the hope that perhaps maybe somehow uh, that their ideas would work, that their plan would work. Their plan didn't work. It was a it was a conclusive loss uh, to an extremely beatable candidate in Daniel Smith, uh, and and perhaps the most galling, the part that snapped me out of my reverie, and the part that was like, okay, we have to talk about this now, is me seeing a number of NDP higher ups jumping onto Twitter.com to say that their catastrophic loss to one of the most beatable conservative candidates, one of the most beatable conservative parties ever. Wasn't so bad, actually. No, it was actually good. I mean, did, did you see Notley's concession speech? No, I, I felt like I couldn't I, do myself. Like I that. mean, I was in. I felt like I was in Bizarro World. I mean, the atmosphere at NDP headquarters was jubilant, and yeah. even you saw people like Blake Desjarlay there just chanting Rachel, Rachel. And it's like, what? Like, why are you happy? We have another four years of Danielle Smith. And, and and you want us to applaud you because you didn't lose as badly as you could have? Yeah, you didn't lose as badly as last time. Let's uh, let's start off by going through this kind of like cavalcade of, of back padding with um, senior comps person for the uh, for the Alberta NDP campaign, Cheryl Oates. Quote, the NDP has much to be proud of today. Winning the popular vote in Calgary and Edmonton, the tightest race in Alberta's history, determined by 1,300 votes and six seats. The most support the NDP has ever received in Alberta. Friends. That is incredible progress. Hashtag Abledge. Jeremy, should the NDP be proud of coming in second? Well, um, yeah, I mean, losing is the new winning. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows this. I mean, um, I mean, was the race even that close? Well, if you look at the popular vote, like not just specifically to where the NDP did, all right, but province-wide, like in rural Alberta, which the NDP have just completely written off as a bunch of like yokels who hate um, you know, trans people. Um, no, I, I mean, it was it, it was uh, a significant uh, defeat. Um, and you you do have to do a lot of mental gymnastics and playing around with numbers to pretend it was anything but that. Um, and the race isn't even that close. I think it's worth taking a minute just to be like, look, you can construct a scenario where there's these six or seven races where the votes are close and if they just flip them it's like they lost the popular vote by eight and a half points that is a that is a conclusive loss by popular vote and even if somehow scarily they had managed to eke out um a legislative a slim legislative majority by losing the popular vote by that much do we really think that they would be able to meaningfully govern with that kind of mandate no i mean they would they would be uh reaching across the aisle um and uh working uh trying their best to um, work collaboratively with the UCP. I have no doubt about that. Compared with the UCP now, who, uh, because they lost um, every uh, riding in Edmonton, uh, you know, uh, Danielle uh, created this uh, loser's guild. (laughs) The Council of the Defeated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a noble uh, kind of D&D-esque name. (laughs) On... on, um, on uh, Edmonton issues because obviously they very much have their fingers on, on the pulse. Mm-hmm. I mean, next up uh, for the bat round of backpatting, we have another senior NDP operative, Garrett Spellacy. Um, and before we get to his particular tweets, it should be pointed out that Garrett's profile picture is 
of him standing next to the portrait of Rachel Notley that hangs in the legislature from her time as premier. His tweet goes, it's a long tweet thread, but I just kind of pulled out the, these two here. We are in a position to rebuild a movement that can do what Democrats fall short of Canada-wide, beat a united opponent. And I don't think they're that united. We not only achieved the second best result in history, our best if you considered it, it was against a united opponent, we redrew the map. We did this by fighting for every inch of the field. Hold your heads high. I want to focus on that, like, we not only achieved the second best result in history, our best if you considered it was against a united opponent. Jeremy, is this result here in 2023 better than the result in 2015 when they actually won? Well, I mean, they did get more votes, right? And sure. I, I, I think we, we, we do need to acknowledge that. Um, but uh, at the same time, uh, they won in 2015. They didn't this time. Um, and if you look at how they won in 2015, yes, of course, they had a divided right. Um, but um, Notley didn't win by uh, trying to appeal solely to conservatives in yeah. the suburbs. She was not trying to build the the Lougheed era Progressive Conservative Party 2.0 in 2015. Right. She, they, they ran a new Democrat campaign and people were like, OK, we'll give these folks a try. We'll see what happens. And like and then they backed off from much of it uh, quite quickly. Yeah, the triangulation, yeah, started immediately, right? Yeah, but, but I mean, the, the, I, you know, I, I do think um, we ought to acknowledge that the NDP from 2015, 2019 did do um, some good things, uh, much of which was were, were like immediately like rolled back. Oh, yeah, all the, all the good labor law stuff, yeah, you know, yeah, immediately yeah. repealed. Like that's 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 the one thing that you usually get swept under when kind of conservatives take over after social Democrats is they immediately change all the labor laws that were, that were changed and usually uh, not changed uh, enough. But the other thing that I think is worth hiding up from this tweet is we did this by fighting for every inch on the field. I don't, I don't think the NDP fought for every inch on the field. Well, they certainly didn't fight for rural Alberta except for uh, Banff, Kinnaskis and uh, I mean, maybe lesser slave Lake. Um, no, they still lost by 2,500 votes in lesser slave. Lake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I, uh, I mean, I know they were targeting it, so whatever that means. Um, it's like you didn't, yeah, like you, I don't know if it's the leader, I don't know if it's the party congenitally, but uh, they have been unable to to break through in rural Alberta. And like, perhaps it's too big a problem to like concentrate on like all of rural Alberta, it's a big place, but you have to focus on somewhere. And I felt like Lethbridge was maybe the place they were going to break through. They only got the one seat in Lethbridge, the Shannon Phillips seat, the other seat they did not take. I know that was very important for Yeah, them. I was surprised Miyashiro uh, didn't win that actually. Um, but, but once you get out of Lethbridge, I mean, it makes sense. Like in first past the post systems, you need to focus on a geographic area and build out from there. So it makes sense to start in Lethbridge. But yeah, Lethbridge, Red Deer, they didn't do terribly well in Red Deer either. Like I, I didn't think they had a chance in Red Deer anyways. I, I know uh, like I know Dave Cornaye was uh, calling it uh, riding the watch. And that, that came as a surprise to me. And, you know, I, 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 I'm not trying to slag Dave. Um, you know, I very much uh, value his uh, perspectives on these things, but I, I that never struck me as a writing that w was going to go orange. Um, and finally, we have Rachel Notley herself uh, with a tweet that just came out um, this morning. Uh, we're recording this Thursday morning. We were close. We are close to quintupling the size of the Alberta NDP Calgary caucus pending recounts. I look forward to what the future holds for this awesome group of leaders. I'm guessing she didn't say the pending recounts part. No, no, the pending recounts is oh, in. Oh, did it's she? In, it's in. Uh, it's That's in, amazing. It's in. Uh, it's wow. in brackets. But so like, inspirational. 
But it's like, yeah, like, okay, you went from three to 12 or 15 or whatever, they were three to 14, whatever they went to. I mean, that's good. You still lost. Yeah, who cares? Like, you don't get to be proud of losing. Who yeah. gives a shit? And, like, like, um, yeah, it means nothing. It literally means nothing. And pe- the people who are saying that, oh, well, the, this is going to impact the decisions of the UCP cabinet are living in a fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's it's not it's not it's like literally um, if the fact that the UCP lost every seat in Edmonton or the one seat they had in Edmonton led Daniel Smith to create this this loser council to give her advice. Right. Like that to me suggests that they're not they're not interested in reaching across the aisle. It's the NDP. It's a one way street. The NDP yeah. wants to reach across the aisle. The UCP doesn't care. They want to. You know, they're, I mean, they're led by a movement, right? I mean, Take Back Alberta has a lot of sway in, in, in the party, and they're in the process of taking over its, its machinery to keep it that way. And, um, the, you know, these NDP supporters are saying, oh, we need to, um, you know, we're going to have influence. Like, no, you're not. No. No, you're not. Like, Take Back Alberta thinks you're, like, satanic pedophiles who are, like, murdering babies. Like, they don't give a shit what you think. In fact, they find, like, everything you stand for, to the extent you stand for anything at all, repugnant. And and this this is why I think this backpatting why it gets the reaction it gets from me. This is why it makes me so angry, because the consequences of losing here are monstrous, right? Um, the four years that we have coming up under Daniel Smith are going to be bad. And I think it's worth taking a minute to contemplating what the consequences might be. So what do you expect to see You know, a UCP government led by Daniel Smith to focus on, say, over the next two years, the part of the mandate where they're going to try and get the shit done that they want to get done. Well, uh, it it looks pretty bleak. I mean, we're going to have people use drugs forced into treatment against their will and then getting out of treatment and uh, relapsing, perhaps, because that's often what occurs, and and, and dying. Um, You know, overdose deaths are going to increase. I mean... Charter schools are going to expand greatly. I mean, Smith created this charter school hub and for the first time actually increased charter school funding relative to public school funding. It's always been equal. Until yeah, they now. get extra. Yeah. yeah, now they're getting extra money. So that that that's going to, you know, uh, education is going to be increasingly catered towards the wealthy. Um, post-secondary education is going to rely increasingly on tuition fees which are um, now, um, you know, increases are capped, um, but without government funding to make up for that, I mean, the quality of education is going to suffer. I mean, healthcare, uh, we're going to see more contracting out to uh, private for-profit entities that aren't just not going to uh, improve outcomes, but make them worse. And I I mean, you could go on and on. I mean, oil and gas companies are going to get rewarded if they (laughs) um, clean up their messes that they're legally obligated to already. Yeah, I think the R star implication, the implications of of a a UCP government going whole hog and just 
breaking the polluter prey principle and just handing out cash to oil and gas companies to clean up their properties that they already are obligated to clean up. Like it's just, I mean, I mean, I'm not a big like rule, like norms or institutions thing, but like you open those floodgates and like, why is any oil and gas company ever going to clean up any one of their uh, old sites ever? But it's also like Trudeau did that first. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that seems to be lost on a lot of uh, people, uh, you know, tearing their hair out over our star. But um, yeah, and the NDP never offered an alternative to it. They said, oh, we need strength in the laws. Okay. Like what? Why didn't you do it last time you were in power? And the, and the point you brought up too about the... Uh... But they didn't talk about their last time in power. Yeah. It, it, it all, except when it came to uh, getting the uh, first pipeline to Tidewater built in years while the province is on fire. I mean, you know, delusional is is, is, is too mild of, of a word to, to describe what we're dealing with in the Alberta NDP. Yeah. And so, I mean, what the thing you brought up, I also just want to take a second to highlight is this continued move towards forced treatment, the rounding up of unhoused people who use drugs uh, and essentially placing them in treatment. I mean, the Alberta government already facilitated a street sweeping operation. Like when they brought the sheriffs into Edmonton and Calgary, their explicit job was to manufacture is was an, those sheriffs manufactured an excuse to run people's IDs. They would run those IDs. Anyone who had a warrant got shipped to remand. Like that is that is a, that is a an, a campaign to make unhoused people just disappear from the streets in advance of an election, right? Like she was using police power to enforce political goals, and that is only going to continue. Like that is that is what the, these people are willing to do to win elections, and they're willing to go after Alberta's poorest, most marginalized people in order to achieve their political goals, and. Scary as fuck. They are they are the bad people. And Daniel Smith believes a lot of crazy, wackadoo things. And she'll say almost anything to anyone, depending on what room she's in. But the people around her, the people at the senior most levels, are also really smart. And they're really calculating. And they will make sure that the bad stuff happens. There, we, I don't think we can depend on, on bumbling or incompetence with these people. Because the people around Danielle Smith are very scary. And I don't like them. And they're going to do bad things. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and, and that's the whole thing with all these like uh, bizarre statements Smith has made over the years. She was just like, well, I was a radio host. Of course, I was, I was trying to be provocative. But you can't make that excuse for uh, Marshall Smith, say, no. right? Like he, he's a true believer that people need to be forced into recovery and that drug use needs to be stigmatized. And, um, you know, and it just so happens that, you know, you're forcing people into recovery more people in recovery, you give more money to these uh, private recovery clinics to um, fund this influx of uh, patients, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a it's a windfall for them. Well, uh, not only is it a windfall, but people will die. There are scientific yeah. studies that show that it the most da- some of the most dangerous portions of a person's life for someone who uses drugs are the the, the next few days after they get out of treatment. And that's because their tolerance is gone. It's because the drug supply is probably shifted over while they were away. And if they use drugs once and they're not used to it and they get the poison batch of drugs, they die. And And the NDP did not say a word about harm reduction on the campaign trail. I mean, they talked about how it's unconstitutional to force people in treatment, which is true. But, okay, what, what alternative are you offering? I mean, you opened all these supervised consumption sites. 
when you were in power. I get that a lot of them had a local backlash. No, they were terrified of talking about the issue. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. when the cops, when the when the UCP proposed 100 more cops, the NDP proposed 150 cops. You know, like right. <laughs> partnered with social workers, which is fucking amazing. Like that is such a good example of uh, you know this this liberal uh, yeah, response. NDP to, baby splitting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we're going to hire more cops, but they're going to be partnered with social workers. Um, and it's like, okay, great. So you are um, integrating even more social workers into the carceral system. Like, you're not, you're not solving any, any problems. Um, you, know, you know, and I, I suppose, uh, you know, you talk to a guy like Tamitopa Oriolo, who knows a lot more about these things than I do, and he says, well, it's a, it's a, you know, that's a positive step. It's better than just having 150 cops who aren't trained in, in, in these fields that are more compassionate. But, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, though, I, I mean, our, we're, I think we're splitting hairs over, over the difference between the NDP and the UCP policy. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's one of the points you make in your piece that I think you did a very good job of illustrating. Uh, but if you were to ask a different commentator, perhaps someone... Uh, who goes by the name Maximum Fawcett, uh, the lead columnist at the National Observer. What is a lead columnist? I'm still, I've never heard that phrase before. Uh, is he the only columnist they have? I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's the only full-time columnist they have because they, you know, they publish, I know they published Jen Hassam recently. And, yeah, yeah and, but that's you know, just Seth like one-off op-ed stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Sandy Garasino uh, writes for them frequently, but not like multiple times a week. So maybe that's what it is. But then, just call him columnist. He's a columnist. He's a columnist for the National but Observer. lead, like you have to remind me that he's above he's, me. He's a very serious, very serious journalist, a very serious thinker who's taken very serious by serious people. And he's got a column uh, that's worth, uh, uh, we're not going to go full big shiny takes on this because it's it's also, it's it's really annoying and bad. And also a lot of the points that we've talked about have been already raised by, by the NDP higher ups. But the headline is, Rachel's NDP needs to finish the job. Uh, we will not be linking this this in the show notes. Um, feel free to Google it if you really must subject yourself to it. But I'm just going to pull out a couple of excerpts because I think I think Max does. Uh, he's making the same points that like Garrett Spalsey, Cheryl Oates, and Rachel Notley are making. Yeah, literally people who are paid by the NDP making, except he is not. Except not. And and let's. I'll just I'll just quote him here. There will be calls for a return to the NDP's more ideologically strident past, when catering to suburban Calgary voters was never much of a consideration. They'll argue a more authentically left-wing party, one that campaigns more aggressively on climate change and social justice, would animate the young voters they need. That would be an even bigger mistake. You think that would be a mistake, Jeremy? I, I, should, I mean, they, should, the, they, should they be triangulating more to uh, a former PC voter, Calgary suburban... Yeah, well, I Model mean, voter. The, you know, they got the second best uh, performance ever, so obviously they just need to uh, keep doing no. Um, yeah, and Max never explains why that would be a mistake. It's just taken as, as a given. And, I, you know, and, but I think he's also doing a bit of a red herring here because, um, like, I... I you know, I can't speak for anyone else, but my view isn't that they should explicitly run as a socialist party that, uh, you know, wants to uh, bring all industry under public ownership. But there's a way to run as social Democrats that isn't going to turn off people 
from the suburbs, the same people who are voting for Danielle Smith, who are voting for right-wing populism. And, and, you know, you see this question everywhere, everywhere that right-wing populists are winning, which is everywhere in, 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 in the democratic world, so-called. Um, it, it, it's that the, the response to this right-wing populism can't be this tepid incrementalism because right-wing populism acknowledges that something is fundamentally broken with the system mm -hmm. And it channels in that there's anger about it, and then it channels people's anger towards something else other than what the actual cause is. Now you can articulate that this this populism from a left wing perspective. You can explain without, like reading passages of you know the 18th Brumaire or something <laughs> at yeah. at campaign rallies, right? Like it's not like I think Max is creating a false binary here, right between. Um, no, the system is broken, and, yeah. and you do need to acknowledge it because people are working more hours for less money, and they're able to buy less shit. And like that's not—that's uh, the reality. Like that's the simple truth: is that like working class people, people who work for a living, are getting fucked. And you need to be able to acknowledge that and have an explanatory reason for why that why things are like that. Yeah, and they can't afford to live in in, in a home. And the, 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 the purportedly progressive party is hiring this, this toad man from Airbnb to run their campaign who they wouldn't even acknowledge was running their campaign. And he wouldn't acknowledge he was running their campaign until like a few hours uh, before uh, polls closed. And, 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 and you mean to tell me that, that a party talking about introducing rent control wouldn't win over people who rent? Yeah, who rent, which is the majority of people. Like, look at Ontario. Ontario has rent control. Mike Harris didn't get rid of it. Doug Ford didn't get rid of it. And there's a reason for that. It's because people like it. It's popular because they don't want to be, they don't want to have the risk of rent eviction hanging their, over their heads over the time. But if you read what Max has written about the housing crisis, um, it's that we're all to blame for it. There, there's no culprit here. We all have a part to play in making housing more affordable. And it's like, no, we don't. Uh, yeah, I'm not the government. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and I don't own property. The important point here is that the, the NDP, the Albert NDP have created, instead of embracing kind of like uh, the explanatory power of um, mass politics and of democratic, uh, social democratic norms to explain why things are bad and to, to actually do politics. Instead, they they've created a model voter in their head, of uh, you know uh, someone who pined for the days of Peter Lahid's PCs, right? The, and they position themselves as the natural successors to the Peter Lahid era PCs. And the fact that they thought that they could win an election by marketing themselves like this would make Grant Notley turn over in his fucking grave. Like, Grant Notley fucking hated the Lahid-era PCs. And and when you, as a as an ostensibly social democratic party, are asking conservatives to lend you their vote, that is an inherently weak and self-defeating political... Yeah, lend us your vote. Don't don't give it to us. Just lend it to us. Like, what... <laughs> what like... And, and and so, yeah, and they carted out Thomas Lukasik and Doug Griffith. They carted out a fucking, a guy who was the uh, attorney general under Peter Lougheed, who whose last time in office was four years before I was fucking born. Yeah, and, and they also, these are also the people they beat in 2015, and now they're saying, oh, we're actually just like them. Uh, we, you know, we share the same goal, uh, or at least the same entirely negative goal, which is stop Danielle Smith. 
Um, and of course, the the answer that that they're they're to this problem is they're gonna like okay, we we don't just want them to lend us their vote. We want them to to be part of our coalition. And I think that's the direction Notley and and her clique are are gonna move towards. And which is why I think uh, some I mean people need to mobilize against Notley within the party. Um, the problem is she has this like bizarre cult of personality, even though she's not particularly charismatic. Um, that thinks she's great. I mean, you saw it on election night when you had even Blake Desjardins, who's supposed to be, and I think is one of the more progressive uh, New Democrats federally, just so so happy to bask in the glory of Rachel Notley losing again. And. And so when the Alberta NDP based their entire premise of their campaign on winning over a narrow band of like people who either either pine for the days of Peter Lougheed PC um, politics or are just like, you yeah, know, young people, very enthusiastic. Yeah. Or, or, who, or uh, they or they construct this this they construct this model voter of like a suburban Calgary family that is like, oh, if we if we say the right things about oil and gas and and corporate taxes, maybe they'll vote for us. Like, no, like. You know, Emma Jackson made this point on Twitter, and I very much agree with it, which is that, like, politics is not that complicated. At the end of the day, you have to energize and expand your base to win elections. And when you, as an as a ostensibly social democratic party, make your entire pitch appealing to people who hate you or people who don't believe in you or people who just like, I guess I'll vote for you because you're better than them, you are writing off a core part of your base. And while they still might vote for you, grudgingly, they're not going to be out there donating their time, their money, their 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 sweat because like you are uh, again, ostensibly social democratic party, you cannot win without the people behind you. You need to be able to do mass politics. And instead they went for this tightly focused, highly controlled, like small coterie of people responsible for actually doing anything of any note uh for their campaign. And again, they lost. They lost badly and they lost badly doing the same thing in 2023 that they did in 20, in 2019. But even more so. Well, I mean, they lost a little better, but they 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 lose. Whether you lose, whether you yeah. lose by ten or whether you lose by twenty, I don't fucking care. And Alice, no. But 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 the thing is, like, there is a case to be made, I think, and you know, a lot of people whose views I respect disagree with me, that you can win a moral victory without winning an electoral victory in, in by moving the dial and inspiring people. And, and I mean, you know, Bernie Sanders is a perfect example of this. Didn't win, but I think it's undeniable that he did push Biden left of Biden's comfort zone um, and, 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 and did win some concessions. Again, not ideal, but, but it's something that, um, that pushed him, changed uh, mass consciousness. You look at Jeremy Corbyn in 2017, the definitely not 2019 when he reduced the conservatives to a minority government didn't win, but he did actually change something, right? Like moral victories are possible. Moral victories are possible. But when your entire strategy is winning at all costs and just throwing your base under the bus, you can't claim a moral victory. And that's what the new Democrats are are, are trying to spin this as. But there's no there's no more morality involved. I mean, do you remember when 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 Notley came out against the just transition in like January because Danielle Smith told her to and yeah. she was like, oh, of course. Yeah, I'm... fuck the just transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Danielle People Smith. People don't like those two words together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was like just, yeah, and Max had another, uh, you know, call It's bad branding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. 
um, despite the fact that the reporting from his own publication suggested otherwise. But um, well, and I mean, but, but but so so right, Rachel's just like just just abandon it, just yeah. get rid of it. And and and, and Michelle Belfontaine asked her, well, what, like, do you, do you think that this is going to um, turn off your base? Who, who want a transition away from fossil fuels, who want to move people from oil and gas jobs to clean energy jobs. And Notley's response, and I'm really glad Michelle included this in her story, was, hmm, maybe, I don't know, haven't really thought about it. Yeah, don't and, care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, well, you reap what you sow. And and I'm I'm glad you brought up Bernie because like he was always explicit in that he wanted to do mass politics. He was aware that like sure maybe I win this nomination, maybe I become the president, but I can't take on corporate power in the United States without a mass of people who are willing to do shit. And you know Rachel Notley here was like okay, so say by some miracle she wins, there is absolutely no mandate. There's no way she hasn't built the power necessary to effectively challenge the people who really run Alberta, right? Like Alberta's oil and gas oligarchs, the business tyrants, the business council of Alberta. Like those are the people who are really in charge. Madam of Premier. <laughs> yes. Madam Premier. I wouldn't say I would go that far. But like those are the people really in charge of Alberta. It's going to take more than just an electoral win to actually wrest power away from those people. You do actually have to do mass politics. You have to build a movement of people who share your same values, who are willing to get out in the streets for you and that hasn't been done and and so like again the elite at the top of the ndp ran the same campaign twice in a row i fucking pray they don't run it the third time or that that, that the people are out there who want to invest the time and effort necessary to do the ND, do the change from within thing but but let, let, i'm getting a little ahead of myself we got a little bit more of max's column to get into there's a very incomprehensible section here that I want oh to yeah highlight. This is, uh... so so okay so the NDP's here's here's this is I'm quoting again from Max Fawcett's column. The NDP's head-scratching decision to announce a three percent corporate tax race increase activated anxieties many Calgarians had about the NDP's time in office, particularly about the party's handling of the economy. Never mind that said record was mostly a function of collapsing oil prices, or that NDP governments have traditionally been better stewards of the budget and the economy than their conservative counterparts. Because the NDP has refused to actually tell their own economic story, they invited the UCP to tell it for them, and it elected Smith. The time to announce that sort of tax increase is when oil prices inevitably crash and the province's dependence on fossil fuel revenues becomes more obvious and urgent. The Alberta's NDP decision to release a fully costed platform and a balanced budget might have pleased the tiny handful of economists in the province, but did little to reach the voters they actually needed. In the process, they walked into the same trap that ensnared Thomas Mulcair in 2015 and cost him his own chance of governing. The lessons here should be clear by now. Managerial competence does not excite people, and playing directly into your opponent's framing of an issue is a good way to get crushed by it. So there's a lot going on in, in, in that series of paragraphs. And some of it's, I, I mean, some of it Max is, is, is correct about. I think he's... Yeah, Thomas Mulcair sucks. That, that whole idea is he, bad. He's yeah. talking of both sides of his mouth here, clearly. But, but I, you know, I do appreciate what one side has to say about how, like, I don't know what an economic story is, but I think... If, if he's referring to the fact that the NDP didn't talk about its record when it was last in power, um, they and, didn't, and, and allowed the UCP to, to to bring that up and say what what's the NDP trying to hide? He's correct. Uh, I, you know, I don't know uh, 
if he's saying that. I think the part about balanced budgets uh, only uh, impressing a small clique of economists is spot on. <laughs> so, you know, credit to, to Max for that. But but the part about corporate taxes, I want to I want to focus on that because. And again, I'm not an economist, so maybe I'm I, I, I'm out of my depth here. But so he's saying that the talking about raising corporate taxes three yeah. percent. Don't campaign on raising corporate taxes. Just do it when oil prices crash. Yeah, but he's saying so. It brought up bad memories. It it, it, it triggered the trauma of Calgary suburbanites <laughs> yes. from the last NDP government because it reminded them of how the economy was bad so the NDP should wait until the economy is bad to talk about raising corporate taxes. Uh, Correct. Yes, that is the sequence of events he is proposing. Now, again, not an economist, but it seems to me that the best time to talk about raising corporate taxes would be when the price of oil is high, not in corporate when they're making profits yeah when corporate profits are record highs are at a record high and not when they're at a low when they're at a low because then the the corporations will just say well we don't have any money i guess yeah. we'll have to go elsewhere um and and of course that Never, never mind that Suncor cannot pick up shop and go elsewhere. But no, I mean, no. I'm not an economist either, but I believe corporate taxes should be 100. Um, but that, but that's just me. Um, Max has a a final bit, which I think will lead into naturally into our bit of closing conversation oh. here, which is that quote. Progressives in Alberta shouldn't despair, though. They will have time to develop their own economic story for the province and find the right people who can tell it most effectively. They should do that most aggressively in the Calgary and Edmonton area ridings they didn't win this time. The more suburban areas populated by people who tend to vote with their family's pocketbook in mind. Whether you like it or not, and many people don't, in Alberta politics, it's always the economy, stupid. The sooner the NDP smartens up about that, the better. Uh, So... I mean, I think he brings up a very like, okay, what what should be done? And his 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 point is like, do the campaign, do the same campaign you did last time, but do it better. Is essentially his advice. Yeah, one more time with feeling. <laughs> yeah, like I need you to do what you did last time. I just needed to tweak your your economic story dial by about eighteen points. But like, what is an economic story like? Like, and how is that separated? Like, I get, like, I know Max is. And, and I think he's correct about this, is a big proponent of, like, that you need to tell a good story. Yeah. yeah. To win Anyone and, does. And that's, uh, does. of course, that's true. Um, but, like, what's an economic story, and how is that separate from, like, the broader narrative you're, you're trying to, to, to tell? Um, like, I think he's just using the words economic story because it sounds like... Yeah, it's fam- a nice... It's buzzwordy. It's like, yeah, yeah, ah, yeah, yes. But, but, yeah, I mean, they do need to tell a better story, but you can't do that when you're you're targeting, like, this hyper-specific demographic. <laughs> I need you to tell a, a good economic story for the 200,000 people that live around Edmonton, that, that live in those ridings, and then also uh, the 200,000 people that live in the Edmonton Donut and that live in the fringes of Calgary. And it's like, okay, come on, man. Like, you need to tell a good story for everyone. You need to be able to bring everyone yeah. along with your fucking story. Like, that's, that's not how messaging works. That's not how campaigning works. And to think that you could, like, I mean, this is just part of the brainworms that all political parties have, this, like, micro-targeting shit. Instead of doing mass politics, they just want to focus on, like, suburban moms who drive uh, Honda Odysseys, who, like, shop at, you know, Shopping for Votes, which is a quite good book by Susan Delacourt. So I... uh... 
don't say that about a lot of the stuff she's written. No, no, no. But I, th- I think, I think it's like, what is to be done, though, right? The classic, you know, Vladimir Lenin line is like, wow, from Delacorte to Lenin. <laughs> what, what, what is to be done here? And I don't agree with Max that they need to tell a better story. I do think they need to do. You don't think they need to tell a better story? Well, they, they do, but like that is that is that is facile. Like that facile. That like doesn't mean anything. Like it's easy to say they need to tell a better story, but what is it? And he doesn't say what it is. No, just like he doesn't explain uh, the part about what what he actually thinks they did wrong. Uh, I, I mean, or that why. Um, the NDP moving leftward I mean, is an even worse idea than your um, your piece had some advice about what could be done internally within the NDP. What what was that? Sorry, which piece are we talking about? Because I've written. Your, <laughs> I keep you keep writing pieces. Uh, your your piece the that's sifting through the wreckage of the of the election. Oh, okay. So this is my Substack piece, not okay, because we were talking about my breach piece earlier. Yeah. Um, you were going on about the people at the NDP. The the leadership needs to be replaced. You yeah. See. Get rid of them. Purge them, Notley and 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 her clique, um, like they need to be um, removed from fr- from the party. Um, I mean, Notley is clearly stuck in the past, um, and uh, we need someone with an actual progressive vision that can actually be contrasted with the UCP's like um, apocalyptic <laughs> uh, agenda. And, and and this wasn't it. We need someone who will talk about climate change yeah. and isn't going to brag about building a pipeline. Like, it's 2023. The province is on fire. Yeah, I get it. You had to do what you had to do. Or at least you did what you thought you had to do. Fine. That, I mean, the pipeline's going to be useless in 10 years, so uh, it's going to lose even more money. Um, but stop talking about it. Um, talk and, and and yeah. So I I mean I think you know uh, I, unsurprisingly my my uh, diagnosis is the precise opposite of what Max's is. Well, can you imagine any other context where you had failed twice so conclusively, and that that you would be given a third chance to to do the same thing and and presume and fail again? Like you failed twice, but surely the third time it will succeed. Like in any other context, those people would be replaced, and different people with different ideas would be brought in. Yeah, but uh, you know, consultants gonna consultant, and yeah, I, I think I think I think you're right. I mean, I think the time of outsourcing consultants gonna consult. <laughs> I think I think the time of outsourcing our politics to a small coterie of NDP elite is over. I think, regardless of whether or not Rachel Notley stays on in the next election, which I think is pretty unlikely to be honest, the people at the top of the NDP need to be replaced. Fresh blood needs to be brought in, and the people who are brought in need to be need to embrace mass politics like i think you cannot uh do you cannot def- hope to defeat the ucp you cannot hope to defeat the like the again the oil and, the oil and gas oligarchs and the business hierarchs who really run this province without pe- the, a mass of people behind you and yeah. doing this will be hard like i don't pretend uh, of the like things you can do like say you're anxious about this result and say you want to get involved you want to do something changing the ndp from within is uh very difficult it's going to be very frustrating you are going to run into people who are going to be working very hard to frustrate you but that is an option um there are other options though that don't involve party politics and i think i think the overwhelming uh view here is that like electoral politics and party politics are like the only politics that exist and that's that's not true um you know i think there is there is a door to open that everyone who works and it's the labor movement right like i don't think people usually think about the labor movement like this because most folks sadly aren't personally connected to it anymore membership 
union membership is declining year over year. And as an institution, it's involved less and less in our lives. But a regular ass person in Red Deer with a regular ass bank bank account doesn't have a great shot necessarily of making a dent in electoral politics. But if they get involved in the labor movement, they do have a way of turning their labor power into political power, right? Like if you unionize your workplace, you become part of a larger union with financial resources. That union can actually exercise power because it rents, represents other workers with who are very motivated and who share your values. You can also take part in a union that's far more democratic than even being involved in party politics. <laughs> that's worth pointing out as well. And the best part about the labor movement as a vector of political change and political power is say you and your coworker organize uh, and your coworkers organize the place where you work and you actually gain real power. The solidarity you build with your coworkers and your ability to collectively withhold your labor gives you real political power that Daniel Smith and Rachel Notley can't touch. And it can actually improve your life and the lives of every working person in Alberta. And if you're part of a union, get involved. If you're not a part of a, if you're not a part of a union, you te- start taking steps to unionize your workplace. If you need some advice on how to do that, I'd be happy to point you in the right direction. Again, it's work. All of this is work. Unionizing your workplace is hard. Doing a change from within within the NDP is hard. But but like this is what it takes, right? Yeah, I thought uh, Nora made a very good point in her uh, newsletter um, on the Alberta election, in in that uh, you know she acknowledged. That yeah, an NDP that ran a more ran a more progressive campaign probably wouldn't have won either, just because the those there aren't there isn't that 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 really that movement that mass movement in Alberta that it could it, it could champion. And so yeah, I, and I, I do think it needs to start from the ground. Um, you know, I think people should you know obviously get involved if, in your unions if you have one. If you don't have one, talk to your coworkers about about starting one. Um, you know, get involved with Climate Justice Edmonton, uh, yeah, social for example, Public another. Interest Alberta. Yeah. Um, uh, y- you know, there. I, I mean, there, there are, there are a mutual lot. mutual aid groups. People yeah. who are helping people on the ground. And and I think, yeah, I mean, because because it's one thing of just changing uh, who's in power in the NDP and trying to get, which is going to be an uphill battle because, um, you know, Rachel has such a, a stranglehold over, I mean, it's her family business, right? And I don't want to, I don't want, I don't mean that to um, discount her accomplishments and, and failures, uh, frankly, as the uh, NDP leader. But, um, you know, I mean, it's her, her dad was the leader of the party, right? I, I mean, um she's deeply entrenched and so it's one thing to because it's one thing to challenge her electorally it's quite another to build the movement that can either that 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 will challenge her right and i i think both are necessary um i and um no i I, think you make a good point it's like it's, it's gonna be hard and like whatever stream you choose whether it's change from within with the ndp whether it's getting involved in the labor movement, whether it's being a part of social movements or mutual aid groups, all of those require showing up. All of those, no one is going to do this for you. It's going to take collective action. But at the end of the day, we have to have each other's backs because Daniel Smith and the fucking goons running the UCP are not going to have ours. And so it is going to be up to us. Um, I think that's a, a great way to end it. Jeremy, what's the best way for people to follow along uh, with your work and support the great journalism that you do? Uh, I would first and foremost subscribe to The Orchard. That's theorchard.substack.com. 
Uh, if you can fork over uh, five bucks a month, uh, that would be amazing. Um, if not, I would still love to have you uh, as a reader. Um, and I, I do put some stuff behind uh, paywalls uh, reluctantly, but uh, all the, you know, if I, if I break a story, which I, I do on occasion, or I have something I want everyone to read, it, it will be available to the public. So um, really any support. Um, would be great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm I, I'm there till the ship sinks at Jeremy Appel ten twenty five, um, and I'm on Blue Sky. I've got a Blue Sky account. Oh shit! Uh, I don't have any invites at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not on there yet. When you do get one, send it my way. Uh, yeah, um, I, I think I already promised it someone else. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> they're really keeping it tight, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they're trying to build hype around it, right? Um, mm. But my blue sky handle, I believe, is just my first name dot my last name. But I think you can probably just find me on there by searching my name. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I get, I'm on Instagram, uh, appel.jeremy. You know, I post um, some of my work on there mm -hmm. and also, uh, you know, fun non-political uh photos yeah follow follow jeremy uh on the socials uh, subscribe to the orchard if you haven't already it's really good shit uh and also um if you have any notes thoughts comments things you think i need to hear as a host i am very easy to reach i am on twitter far too often again till the ship sinks uh at duncan kinney and you can reach me by email at uh, duncan k at progress as well thank you to jim story for editing and also uh you know a salute to jim for all the work he's put in he's going to get go in for surgery right away and he will be away for a month or two so we wish him all the best in his recovery uh thank you to cosmic family communist for our amazing theme thank you for listening and goodbye <laughs>